I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast, and a quick note before we start today. The good people at Twinbox.ai built us an AI Brian. It uses transcripts of all the old episodes of Idea to Startup to answer questions like I would. I've popped a few listener questions in there, and it is scary good. I still have better puns, but it is better at everything else. Head to gettacklebox.com slash podcast, and the chat thing pops right up if you want to mess around with it. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about copy. The words you use to describe the thing you're building. More importantly, the words you use to convince the person reading whatever you wrote that this thing you built for them is, in fact, for them. That you can help. That you're worth their time. When you ask entrepreneurs what skills they think they need on their team to be successful before they start working on a startup, they talk about vision and domain expertise and technical skills and leadership. But after they've been hacking away for a few weeks or months, the tenor changes and the frantic emails start. Do you know a cheap outsourced copywriter, or do you know a marketing person who can take over cold emails for me, or do you know anyone who can figure out how to get my customer's attention? They realize pretty quickly that the skill they actually need is persuasion. To be able to write something that gets their customer to raise their hand or give their email address or respond to something or to do literally anything. So when you start, those words are the blocker for all the progress that can happen once you've got a bunch of invested people telling you about their problems and how they solve them. Unfortunately, most people never get there. I'd estimate that only 5% of founders that show up on our doorstep at Tacklebox can write persuasive copy, and looking through my founder database, each of those founders have dramatically outperformed. Good persuasive copy tells a story that gets you customers, funding, co-founders, and most importantly for people in the early stages, it gets you an accurate read on whether customers value the thing you're planning to build before you build it. It's a look into the future to answer the question for entrepreneurs. If you build it, will they come? So today, we're going to talk about writing good copy. There are three core pillars for writing good copy. We'll tackle each along with archetypes that'll make copy straightforward. And on the other side, you'll be a far more effective writer. But let's start with why you're probably a bad writer in the first place. And to quote the fourth best scene from my third favorite movie of all time, Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Editors note the best scene from Goodwill Hunting isn't the Apple scene or the Fenway Park scene. It's Robin Williams delivering a devastating five-minute monologue on a park bench. But I digress. It's not your fault you're a bad writer, but it is your seventh grade English teacher's. Let me explain. When you were in seventh grade, your English teacher probably assigned you Call of the Wild. Maybe you read it, maybe you didn't. Eventually, you were assigned an essay and you had to compare and contrast, say, the comforts of civilization against the harshness of the wild. You probably wrote about the pros and cons of each, ending with something about how humans tend to move towards civilization, whether it's better for us individually and collectively or not. And you probably got a B or a B plus or something. Great. I guess you're a good writer. So how did that English teacher torpedo your future startup? Because they were paid to read your whole essay, no matter how freaking boring it was. School took out the hardest and by far most important variable for anyone writing anything. That the reader, in every single scenario that is in the classroom, has infinite other options. 
If six words in, you haven't grabbed their attention, they're gone and they're never coming back. Reading the whole essay, no matter what, is like teaching someone to play basketball by having them run and dribble and shoot, but never bringing in a defender. So we grow up thinking that when we write something, we're owed a reader, we're owed attention, when in reality, just about everyone on earth would rather do just about anything on earth other than read whatever you wrote. No one gives a shit about you or your business or your cold email. When you write something and send it to someone to read, you've given them a chore and they aren't even required to do it. We never learn to write with that level of urgency, so of course our copy stinks, which means our decks and our cold emails and our landing pages don't work. Because in every one of those scenarios, the reader's natural momentum is to not read whatever you wrote and to just carry on with their day. But the writer assumes they'll read a few paragraphs just because they wrote them. For the record, if I were in charge of changing how essays were graded in high school, I'd give everyone two grades, one on the content. Maybe it took you forever to get to your point, but once you got there, it was compelling, so you get a 95 out of 100 on that. And one on how interested an objective reader was. Maybe schools start partnering with doctor's offices, and every time someone sits down in the waiting room, they're airdropped a random high school kid's English paper. You get one point for every percentage of your writing that person reads. If they read 3%, then get bored and go play Wordle, you get a 3 out of 100. If they read the whole thing, you get 100. Copy is hard, but doing it well creates enormous opportunity. Jerry Seinfeld wrote a book called Is This Anything, which is a collection of 45 years worth of meticulously crafted jokes. The reason he titled the book Is This Anything, he says, is because that's been the central question of his life. He comes up with an idea, packages it as best he can, then gets in front of people to see if they laugh, to see if it's anything. Then he repackages it and repackages it based on their reactions until it is something. This is exactly how you build a company. You think something matters. You get in front of a bunch of people and ask, basically, is this anything? Then, based on their reaction, you move forward or you don't. The only way you can do this is with copy that grabs someone's attention, smacks them in the face with your value, then gauges their reaction. So, with those two things in mind, First, that every word you write will be met by a skeptical, busy, flight-risky reader. And second, that to actually build a customer-driven startup, you're going to need to write clear, persuasive copy. Let's get into it. After, a word from our friends at Build. This episode of Idea Startup is brought to you by Build, B-Y-L-D-D. Build is a development agency that we trust. A number of our non-technical founders have used them to build successful, revenue-generating products. Other businesses they've helped build have generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, gotten into accelerator programs like Y Combinator, and raised millions from VCs. Build is uniquely positioned to help non-technical founders get their first product out. Usually, this is a disaster for all the reasons you already know. Finding a CTO is hard and unlikely. Hiring a dev shop is a black box, and unless you're spending 200k or more, it's unlikely your project will be a priority. Hiring developers off of Upwork and managing them yourself is probably the least likely to work of the three. Or you can work with Build. For 10K and roughly a month's work, they'll get the first version of your product up and out. Reach out to Build at byldd.com, ask for Ayush, and say you came from Idea to Startup. In a month, you could have a revenue generating product. Back to it. The Big Misunderstanding. 
The biggest misunderstanding about writing persuasive copy is that people think that the copy itself needs to be persuasive. It needs to motivate the customer to take action. If I have a pumpkin stand on the side of the road, I need to have a sign that says something compelling to get people to stop. Something like big, juicy, plump, ready-to-carve pumpkins that won't rot until May. Or maybe I need a clever joke or a good name like let's give them pumpkin to talk about to rope people in. But despite that tremendous pun, persuasive copy isn't about motivating anyone. It's about identifying someone who's already motivated and talking directly to them. Entrepreneurs latch on to motivation. We don't manufacture it. In the words of Seth Godin, you need to speak to people who are already in on the joke. The sign that describes big, juicy pumpkins might be a 6 out of 10 on a motivational scale for 90% of cars passing the pumpkin stand, and 100% might get a giggle out of the name, but no one pulls over for a 6 out of 10. For changing people's behavior, you need to create the conditions for a hell yes, or else it's going to be a no. A sign that might sell more pumpkins is one that grabs someone with a problem and speaks directly to it. Something like, quote, you promised your kids you'd carve pumpkins tomorrow, and this is the last stand before you get home. This will be a 0 out of 10 on a motivational scale for 98% of people who drive by it, but 2% will have forgotten that they promised their kids they'd carve pumpkins with them and screeched to a halt. For them, it's a 10 out of 10. It's a hell yes, and they'll happily overpay for the pumpkin and thank you for being there, because they were already committed and motivated to do a thing. That ratio, most people don't get it, a small percentage of people really do, is what we want our copy to create. Great copy is a vetting tool. We want 100% of our chosen customer to be motivated by it and everyone else to ignore it. And as you can see, the skill of copywriter isn't in the words you write, but in the knowledge of the customer and your ability to choose a customer in the first place. Then you just need to be able to describe the moment they're in, and if it's painful enough, it's going to convert. When I lived in New York City, I used to go to the Union Square Farmer's Market every Wednesday. There were six or seven stands that sold honey, but only one ever had a line. The ones without a line described their honey as fresh, sweet, organic, natural, and healing. The one with a line said, quote, put our honey in your tea to cure seasonal allergies. Don't motivate people to buy honey. Speak to people already motivated to cure their allergies. This means we should think in terms of reverse architecture before writing copy. What are the conditions that need to exist for the decision you want to be made? As an entrepreneur, you'll start with a hypothesis about a specific customer and their motivation, then use copy to test it. So let's say you're considering starting a business that helps clean the ocean by growing and installing oyster reefs. You then farm those oysters and sell them to local restaurants. To do this, there are huge upfront costs, and you'll likely need to raise money from angel investors before you've grown a ton. You need to know if this is possible, so you want to run some tests with potential angels first. And sure, this isn't exactly how I'd recommend you going after this. I'd love to figure out some other ways to validate the idea first, but for the purposes of reality, as this is how most people do this sort of thing, let's see it through. What would need to be true for someone to invest in this business? How can we hop in a time machine and go forward six months to when we're accepting the check, and then how can we work backwards to figure out who specifically invested? When you do this, you realize there actually aren't a ton of options. 
It'd have to either be someone who knows and trusts you, the entrepreneur, already, in which case the copy doesn't matter all that much because the relationship is what counts. Or it's someone already motivated to solve the problem, someone who has done research on the effect of oysters on climate change, or someone who studies oysters, or even a restaurateur. We're looking for the job someone will be hiring this investment to do for them, to continue their life's work or give them an outlet to put their money towards something they believe in. Then you investigate. Is this anything? Copying a cold email to a potential investor might look something like this. Quote, You already know how helpful oyster reefs are as barriers to storms and tides, how they prevent erosion, how they protect estuary waters. You also know how profitable they are for local restaurants. We're raising funding to build a company that'll place oyster reefs up and down the East Coast profitably, selling the oysters to local restaurants while protecting the sea life and coast from rising tides. Are you interested? Then you get that email in front of people that meet the profile and see if your hypothesis is validated. The point is, it's unlikely anyone's going to invest in the startup if they aren't already motivated by the problem. So speak directly to that motivation. The hardest part here is always emotional. You have to create messaging that leaves so many people out, and that feels counterintuitive to how you think you should be getting people interested. It feels like it should be a numbers game. You should talk to as many people as possible, but it isn't. It's a specificity game, which leads us to our next section. The Attention Pie Joey Caffone, founder of Baron Fig, was on the second ever episode of I Did a Startup, and he talked about the attention pie. And since that day, I've probably referenced it 500 times to our founders. The basic idea is to visualize your customer's attention like a pie chart. Each new thing you add dilutes everything else. So back to our silly pumpkin example. If we say the pumpkins that we have are big, juicy, fresh, smell good, won't rot, and are bright orange, we've dramatically diluted our message. If we were selling to someone who, for whatever reason, really wanted a pumpkin that wouldn't rot, that characteristic would have been diluted by all the rest and wouldn't have been as compelling. As entrepreneurs, it always feels safer to add lots of value. We like throwing a bowl of pasta at the wall because it feels safer that something there somehow is going to stick. But more likely, people won't know what to grab onto. It'll all become a blur and they'll keep moving forward without us. Good copy is about choosing the thing entrepreneurs like to do least. It's about putting ourselves on the hook for one thing that's valuable, one customer with one problem. We think this one thing matters to someone. Now, let's go see. The second important part of the attention pie is recognizing that our instincts will always be to fill it up with stuff about us. Our pumpkins are big and juicy. Our pumpkins won't ever rot. That is nothing. Effective copy is about the customer. You promised your kids you'll carve pumpkins with them, so do it. That is something. Earlier, we established that no one gives a shit about you, and if you come to Tacklebox, I'll remind you of it regularly. They only care about themselves. So how can you choose one thing about the customer that they're already motivated by and lead with it in your copy? Or at the very least, how can you make the first sentence about them so you can build some momentum? If you're skeptical of this approach, open up all the cold emails you get in a day and see which ones keep your attention past the first sentence. 99% of cold emails I get start with some version of, hi Brian, me, 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 me. 
Here's the first one in my inbox that arrived about 15 minutes ago that uses that structure. Quote, hi, Brian. I'm reaching out because I just raised a funding round and I'd love to be on your podcast to talk about how I was able to do that despite not having a technical co-founder. I can talk about that and here's a list of five bullets and I already reflexively deleted the email, but there were five other things that that person had done really well. When humans read something, we're looking for excuses to delete it. Anything specific to us will convince us to stay a bit longer which is why the high me, 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 me email, which is rampant, is so ineffective. It is so easy to delete. I got an email this morning that I read through completely and responded to because it was so hard to delete. Here's what it said. Quote, Hi, Brian. I love the podcast and I'm always amazed with how you're able to come up with new topics each week. Editor's note, this is probably a form flattery piece, but it works. Flattery works. It continued. I'm curious as to how you test ideas with listeners before diving into them. I'm building a company that's trying to make it easier for you to get fast feedback on future topics from listeners. Are you interested? It's not the most specific thing in the world, but it's about me and it's a problem I have. So sure. Write about yourself to get deleted. Write about your customer to get and keep attention. The end. The simplest way to do everything we talked about today is to pretend you're writing to one person. We get in trouble when we try and write for an audience bigger than one. We start adding theoreticals and qualifiers and compromising. Just write for one person, a real person, someone you know, someone with momentum to solve the problem you're solving already. Write directly to them in clear, simple language. I'll help you do X so that you can Y. The more specific you get around X and Y, the more it feels like you're speaking directly to them, the more compelling the copy will be for people like them. You've only got a few seconds to build trust. Specificity around a problem the customer has urgency to solve is the absolute best way to do it. And if you need big juicy pumpkins, we're open all season at Let's Give Them Pumpkin to Talk About. Sorry, you didn't think I'd go the whole episode and just use that once, right? It's too good. This was the Idea Startup Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you have a startup idea and a full-time job, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll get back to you in 72 hours and can be working on your idea by the weekend. Have a great week.